What's up, everyone? I'm Katherine Rudder, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. R3 has been in the news a bit recently, so Todd and I start off the episode talking about that and digital assets and ACoin. You don't want to miss it. Super interesting segment, as are all of ours. And then I pull in two of our interns, Kelly and Gabriella, to talk about how they even got interested in blockchain, what they're most excited to learn about with the technology, and what their day-to-day is like here at R3. Then we have Perian Boring from the Chamber of Digital Commerce down in D.C., and she's an awesome guest for so many reasons, but as a woman in this industry, I loved having her on to talk about her experience. She's such an inspiration for all women in business and blockchain, so I'm really excited to put this episode out. I hope you guys like it. Todd. Catherine. We've been in the news quite a bit recently. Have we? Yeah, we have. We uh, actually, on the way in, Mm -hmm. we were talking a little bit about that Forbes piece that came out today. Yeah, about 20 minutes ago, I think. Literally, we had to speed read. Right. Um, Did you get to the end of it? I did. Yeah, it was was an interesting one. Mm -hmm. I said interesting. I know. We made a pact that we wouldn't say the word interesting. We made a pact. Okay, well... That's how I feel, so I'm not taking it back. Understandable. <laughs> but we also had the B3i news. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that has been awesome. We've gotten a lot of great um, feedback on social and just over the the interweb. Yeah. So, so as you mentioned, we've been in the news a bit the last few weeks, I guess, since the last time we've been on this podcast. Yeah, right after. And, yeah, it's right after. And so uh, I have to use the word interesting because it's interesting for me to be uh, to be. A, a spectator of all this happening outside and also obviously being part of this company. Mm-hmm. Um, we There was just a, a profile on David Rudder, our CEO, in, in Forbes, and I encourage everyone to take a look. There's quite a bit of information in there. You know, in summary, you know, this article and the other one that came out a few weeks back, uh, this is it's a story about a startup, and we are a startup. Mm-hmm. So what does a startup do? Um, we, we have a thesis. We have... Uh, we have a vision, and we collect uh, together a bunch of like-minded individuals mm-hmm. uh, against a common goal to try and run really hard and fast and execute that vision and be successful successful for ourselves and for our customers. In order to do that, um, people have to believe in that vision, and we're really, really, really happy that not only people here, but our customers believe in that as well, and I think the B3I announcement it, it speaks to that. But even with that, you really have to execute and pedal the bike really, really fast yeah. um, because we all have limited resources that we have to allocate in the right way. And that's what we're doing here at R3. And it's a spoiler alert. That's what every startup is doing, <laughs> <laughs> which is that, that's what the interesting part was for me, I, you know, reading all this stuff. And, and, you try and you try and be sort of a detached uh, visitor to Twitter, <laughs> which yeah. can be a little bit oh. difficult. And you run our, our, the social media accounts and... I've learned not to, to, to read the ad replies. You've learned to turn off the notifications. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you look, and you you see all that, and it's, uh, so you get a bit of detachment. But then I, I, I come back in to the office here, go to London, sit down with our customers, and then you look at some of the things that the B3I team has said about why they chose Corda, why they chose us. And, and I, it reminds me of when we started working with Finastra, which is one of our partners. Mm-hmm. And they, we, like, like anything else, they, they reached out to us. They were interested in doing something within the blockchain space. They had an idea. They talked to us. They talked to some other of our, of our competitors in the space. And when it came, came down to their choice to partner with us, 
it was because of two things. One is they looked at Corda and they thought, this is the right technology for what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. But the second one is I'm even more proud of. They said, this is the team we want to work with. And I think the B3I yeah. announcement really speaks to that. The team we have here is incredible. And that is not just our amazing developers. Um, it's the entire team. Yeah. And that's what makes me excited to be here. It's, that's what makes me excited to work really hard because this is another spoiler alert. Startups are very hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, and uh, my kids can attest to that. Um, uh, <laughs> they're probably the least uh, the least. Um, Fans of this, of this whole I'm effort. Excited. So, yes, it's not interesting to them, that's, uh, for sure. And so, and so I think you know, encourage folks to, to take a look and you know, read this Forbes piece. Look at what's going on with B3I. Look at what's going on with InsureWave. Um, yeah. And all the other things that we have going on and this whole industry has going on. There's, uh, we are all in this to help create really a new market, uh, mm-hmm. and then solve problems for customers and we're, we're doing I think we're doing a really good job of that Yeah. and it, it, that this work is only going to increase and we are and I think I mentioned this we're here for the long haul everything that we've done from day one in this company has been architected so we can be here for a long time because this is going to take a long time but also the impact is going to be really really large so that's what's exciting for me Yeah. Um, in all this uh, and my only other advice as well is uh, you know ignore the fake news. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I This kind of reminds me, in the Forbes article specifically, um, nothing that, oh my gosh, I have like a frog in my throat. You should nothing, drink some LaCroix. <laughs> I know, I should. Um, nothing that was ever worthwhile was easy, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of um, what I took from the Forbes article. Like, this isn't going to be easy, and no one ever thought it was going to be, so let's just keep putting our heads down and keep on working and yep. prove yeah. everyone wrong. That's That's what makes it interesting. So interesting. <laughs> Love the tie back. So you're going to talk to me a little bit about digital assets. Let's do it. Educate me. Okay. Okay. Oh, dear. So uh, <laughs> there's, well, two, two uh, posts or articles from the regulatory community. So you can turn off your podcast now if you want to. Hey, let's do it. It'll be very brief. One is there was a speech uh, by uh, William Hinman from uh, SEC uh, about 10 days ago. Uh, that got people quite excited because it seemed like it, it exonerated uh, Ether as being deemed a security. Uh, so he has a he has a speech that he made at the Yahoo uh, Finance uh, Summit. Someone joked, "This is the most relevant Yahoo's been in a decade." <laughs> but, uh, Except for the fact that some of my friends still have Yahoo emails, which that's is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I, I think I might still have an AOL email somewhere. Todd, uh, yes. I definitely have AAM. So. <laughs> We're all and, bad examples. And so, so encourage you to read that article. I will. I will say that it, it is a speech and that gives guidance, but there's still a lot to be determined by that. And there's, I think, the, the agenda, the regulatory agenda, is going to be heating up over the summer. I think they're they're G20 is getting together in Buenos Aires in July, and I think a lot of people are, are looking at that as, as increased guidance. So um, in general for us, you know, there's there's some backward-looking guidance that, that SEC might be giving to some of these projects. But forward-looking, one of the things that, that we when we look at this space, the the assumptions that everyone has, I think, has to have be a much higher bar now. Mm-hmm. Every, basically, everything should be viewed as a security, uh, as a starting point, and you work backwards from that. Okay. Uh, the other one, the other article I wanted to point out, that was amazing. It was a three-and-a-half-page article, so kudos for, for brevity, uh, <laughs> by a gentleman named uh, uh, Dong He uh, mm-hmm. from the IMF. 
and this came out about a month ago, but I'm a little bit slow with reading some of these things. And I, so I, I was reading it. Also, I was on an airplane, so that's helpful. So well, it had, always helps. Yes. And, Lots gets done. And on did not have headphones, so I could not watch You're the Worst, which I was really upset about. You couldn't buy headphones? Well, I guess so. Details. So, uh, so read this, and it, it is, in general, it's, it's, it's a survey of what, what are the things that cryptocurrency can teach central banks. So very positive attitude on this is what it, how can this make central bank money better? Okay. We spend a lot of time on central bank digital currency. Mm-hmm. And a couple things that I'll very much uh, paraphrase here, but it's a, it's a positive competitive pressure that, that, they, that potentially central banks could take from this um, about making, quote, unquote, fiat currencies better and more stable units of account. Um, I think, you know, trying to give uh, – looking at the crypto space and, and putting some structure around it, some re- more regulation around it too, so that there's not this regulatory arbitrage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the last point is what we spend a ton of time on. This is how can you make central bank money or central bank uh, ecosystems uh, better for uh, settlement. So we, we, this is a lot of the work we did in Canada, the Bank of Canada and MAS mm-hmm. in Singapore. So this is facilitating uh, better, more efficient markets. And this is, this is really the big driver around, uh, around how central banks are looking at all this and also potentially democratizing access to central bank money, yeah. um, which, uh, but there's a lot of edge cases to this and second order effects, and we have a ton of research um, yes, on our website about this with super smart people. But I want to meet Dong He because I appreciate any central banker uh, or regulator that writes something that's less than 500 pages. So <laughs> kudos to him. Yeah, well, we'll have to set that up now. So in other news, we've, because- we've had our vegetables. Now time for the. Dessert. <laughs> Time for the dessert. <laughs> um, so in other news, Akon mm-hmm. is now planning to release a cryptocurrency or create a cryptocurrency yep. um, in Africa. Mm-hmm. And he refers to it as the real-life Wakanda. Really? Yes. So I picked this one. When mm-hmm. I started, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the game Twitch that lets you play Pokemon on the Lightning Network. But then I saw Acoin. And I oh, needed. Acoin, of course. <laughs> of course. Naturally. And in one of the articles, because I've read a bunch about this, because I used to, yeah, a bunch. Because about I used Acoin. To, about Acoin, because I used to love Acon. And I was laughing because this takes me back. Um, one of the articles, <laughs> uh, one of the articles referred to him as the Slap That singer. Mm-hmm. Or sla- I don't. He has so, it's I'm, Slap That All on the Flow, Slap That, Give Me. You're going to have to keep singing because I don't recognize it. <laughs> Just keep going. Really not. <laughs> I have no it's idea. such a weird song, and he's known for so many other things. So I thought that was hilarious. And also, why would you refer to a song that's a little inappropriate? Do you think that he's getting interested just because he can have an amazing name for a coin? A coin? Because also. A coin like Coinye West, but, but it but, wasn't his. But also, if there were a uh, coin, Yellow Pages, his would be listed right at the front. A coin. Yeah, that's true. Triple A coin would be a little Triple bit better. A coin. That's actually very creative. Yes, uh, is that off the off the cuff? It is. It all Pretty is. Good. Pretty good. Um, but also, it's funny because he does admit that he knows nothing about cryptocurrencies or very little. <laughs> well, um, what? Why? Well, that's not stopped anyone <laughs> else really in the last eighteen it. months. So, yeah. well, that's true. Um, but he said, "I want to find the quote." Um, but he basically says, "I'm going to leave it to the geeks." Yeah, that's not very nice. Geeks isn't a very nice. 
Don't be term. a hater, Acon. Yeah. Is it Acon? It's Acoin. It's <laughs> it's also probably a little bit difficult for someone to be launching a coin, and their name is Acon. Yes. So, but it, I mean, it's kind of perfect. But I think so. His plan is to bring the uh, cryptocurrency. You can tell I'm so excited about this. <laughs> you can also tell I haven't read the article, and that's why. <laughs> but that's why I'm sharing it with you. Yes. Um, and he, it basically also goes along with this uh, futuristic city, all based around a coin mm-hmm. in Africa. Wakanda. So, yeah, Wakanda. <laughs> so I think um, that was just. The thought behind it, I think, is to bring power back to people. And oh, like, okay. uh, it, so it has a good. Um, it's a happy ending. At heart, it's it's good. So oh, okay. we'll see what happens. All right, I'm rooting for it. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Yes. So I think that's all the news that's fit to print. I think you're right. Okay. Bye. Bye. I am in Intern Corner with two interns this week, Kelly from Marketing and Gabriella from Research. Thank you guys for joining today. Thanks for yeah. having us. Taking a break from desk work. <laughs> you love your job. Come on, Kelly. Um, <laughs> so let's start off with the first question. How did you guys initially learn about blockchain? Well, the first time I even heard the word blockchain was in regards to Bitcoin and all that cryptocurrency when that big trend happened this past winter. But honestly, when I really dove into the term of blockchain and really um, discovered it was when I applied for this company. And my friend who's a fintech concentration in the Fordham Gabelli School of Business, right, I go, um, he was like, Kelly, that's awesome. Like, blockchain's so cool. You should definitely go for the interview and just go for it. So here I am. And yeah, so I heard about blockchain probably about a year ago. Um, And at MIT, there's a really big blockchain initiative and a lot of cryptocurrency groups. Um, And so much of my friends are either coding on like a platform like Ethereum or they're involved in trading cryptos or they're involved in it some way like mining. Um, And so it's just kind of been something I've been surrounded with at school. And so it just kind of organically came to me and I was interested in it. So my next question was going to be, do a lot of your friends know about blockchain? But you both have kind of answered that already. But uh, what would you say would be the overarching feeling about blockchain in college campuses? Like, do a lot of people know about blockchain? Like, at MIT, you're lucky you have some clubs and stuff, but that's not at every campus. Kelly, what has your experience been? Well, I'd say not too many of my friends knew what blockchain was, but... Let me tell you, they definitely do now because that's <laughs> all I've been talking about since I've been working here. Um, I definitely do think that there is a huge misconception around blockchain in regards to cryptocurrency. A lot of people get it confused with the whole Bitcoin trend and stuff like that. But it is like a whole different platform that we're doing here at R3. Blockchain for Business is um, definitely its own standalone, not in <laughs> regards to cryptocurrency. So that's always a big misconception. Yeah, and just like at MIT, too, um, a lot of people associate blockchain then with, like, crypto. Um, And so, like, at MIT, the enthusiasm is really about, like, making money around cryptos and things like that. Um, But there's definitely a separation between blockchain and that. Yes, definitely there is. They're they're intertwined. But so what would you say was the hardest thing to wrap your head around with this technology? This is a good question because there were a lot of things that was hard to wrap my head around. 
Um, definitely just overall trying to understand how this technology actually worked and what exactly it was used for. Now knowing that it's all code-based is definitely helped my um, knowledge of it. But at first, I couldn't understand how a platform that was used for cryptocurrency could possibly be used for business transactions um, because, honestly, I never even fully understand the whole Bitcoin um, Ethereum trend anyway. Obviously, I'm not techie or study business at all like Gabriella does and, like, all that MIT stuff, but... Um, all that MIT stuff. <laughs> yeah, What's your response, Gabriella? Come on. We're on totally different Defend ends of this right now, but... Um, I, at first, I just kept thinking of this technology as just a continuous block of transactions, um, kind of like an Excel sheet, I guess, blocking um, transactions that were linked and locked together, that were error-proof, that can only be seen between the two parties who were involved in the transactions. Um, then I discovered that, yes, it was this, but it's also so much more, and every day I'm, like, learning so much more about it, so. Definitely. Yeah, and I think for me, like, as a technical person, um, I like to understand how it's, like, fundamentally working on a pretty low level. Um, and so, like, understanding the, how the consensus algorithms work, and it's very different than how, like, Bitcoin's consensus algorithms work, um, was kind of something that I had a lot of trouble understanding initially, and I've gone to, like, a bunch of people to ask for their help, and I'm, like, slowly understanding what it is, but on the in the process of fully understanding it. Yeah, well, it's also hard to kind of fully understand what's going on here because I was um, recently just talking to our CTO, Richard Gendel brown and we were talking about how crazy it is, how many different apps can be built on blockchain, and how in the world could someone know how to talk about all of these different categories of, like, trade finance, supply chains, and then there's just so many things that you can put on blockchain. So I think that's a very interesting um, thing, and I am not technical at all, so maybe you can uh, teach me a few things, Gabrielle. <laughs> teach Kelly. And I have a few things <laughs> on marketing. <laughs> so what are you guys most interested in learning more about? Um, surprisingly, I'm interested in learning a lot more about this technology, even though it's something that I never thought I would have any interest in or even know about. So um, I'm definitely interested in learning more about other ways this technology can be implemented into businesses and what other industries it can be used for. I definitely want to learn more about the kind of apps that businesses can create or are in the process of creating. I uh, want to learn about the different things that people are actually building on this platform and all the possibilities that people who built this technology probably didn't even think it would be used for, um, definitely. In the past few months, I've been reading more about the technology, listening to podcasts about it, and I just think— And your favorite one, Life in the Fast Chain. <laughs> obviously, this one is my number one podcast, but um, I just want to learn as much about it as I can here at my time at R3 and maybe someday fully wrap my head around it, but we'll see. <laughs> And sort of similar to Kelly also, um, I think I'd be really interested to see how blockchain can be applied to different industries. So like currently and what a lot of R3 has been doing is focusing on using it in the financial services industry, but it could really easily be applied to government or healthcare. And distributed ledger has like such potential um, in those areas also. So I'd be interested to see how it can be applied there. Great. So my last question would be, actually, second to last question. I have a curveball in there. Um, my last question, second to last question would be, uh, have you guys drank the Kool-Aid? And I say that because I genuinely, when I started, I thought that everyone here was drinking the Kool-Aid. I was like, this is an amazing technology. I'm really proud to be here, but come on, like, this can't be possible. We can't reach all these different um, demographics and all these different uh, 
industries. Um, and I have 800% drank the Kool-Aid. And now I'm like Kelly. I'm so annoying. I mean, I'm not saying that you're annoying, but <laughs> I personally am. <laughs> I personally am with my friends and with um, just everyone around me because I just really want everyone to kind of jump on and learn more. Um, so have you guys drank the Kool-Aid? I remember you saying this in my interview with you a few months ago. I was like, what is she talking about? But I would say at this point, after only three weeks, I definitely have like, drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Obviously, like you said, if you ask my friends, I'll go off for an hour when someone asks me what I'm doing this summer. So um, that's me drinking the Kool-Aid there. But I do strongly believe in this technology, and I do foresee it really continuing to grow and all big businesses and companies um, using it in the near future. I honestly feel like businesses who don't implement it, uh, who don't implement this technology will actually miss out on a huge opportunity and fall behind. And I think R3 overall already has such a strong advantage in this field. The fact that um, the company actually has a product and built this open source platform that over 100 companies are currently using and almost 100 are building on and partnering with is really awesome. Um, Definitely, personally, I think R3 has a head start in this industry, and I have drank the Kool-Aid for blockchain and this technology, <laughs> Corda, is great, so, <laughs> yes. And, yeah, I've totally drank the Kool-Aid also, and, like, my whole job at the research is to write about, like, how blockchain and Corda in particular can, like, change the world and, like, change the status quo, so, yes. Go blockchain, Corda. <laughs> <laughs> my boss is going to be like, what Kool-Aid are you feeding these girls. Um, okay, last question. Do you guys think I could get by as an intern? <laughs> They're not answering is not good enough. <laughs> Perry and Boring is on the line. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, shoot. Did you hear that email thing? <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to keep rolling with it. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, you must get this all the time, but you do have an amazing name. I have a cousin named Perry, uh, P-A-R-I, and then I have friends named Ann, but I've never met a Perry Ann. Yeah, I'm from Florida, and uh, everyone seems to have two first names in the South, so I guess I'll, I'll tell you the story. My grandfather's <laughs> name is Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. Um, and my grandmother's name is Joyce and her middle name is Anne. So they combined my grandfather's first name and my grandmother's middle name to create Perry Ann. And that's my name. That's a great story. Um, you are the founder and president of the Chamber of Digital Commerce on top of being an adjunct professor of blockchain at Georgia, Georgetown School of Business. Uh, so you're very busy. Can you talk a little bit about your two current roles and how you kind of got where you are today? Sure. Well, I mean, the we, I founded the Chamber of Digital Commerce um, almost four years ago. So we're turning four in July. And it's kind of a, a longer story how we got started. But um, <laughs> I became a, a big advocate of, of Bitcoin and blockchain in this ecosystem. And, you know, this is a pretty complicated uh, technology topic. And mm -hmm. as someone who's lived and worked in DC um, my entire career, I know how important it is to ensure that regulators and members of Congress and the policy community has an understanding of what you're trying to do in the technology ecosystem to ensure that you have the ability to innovate and to grow. Um, in the early days of the blockchain community, there 
were a number of issues and scandals from Silk Road and Mount Gox and Liberty Reserve that really left a lot of people concerned and upset and, and you know, just overall scared and anxious about this technology. So we created the chamber to be a resource to the policy community um, to, to help support this industry and ensure that we have um, legal ecosystems that promote innovation, investment, and growth. So I've been working hard at building this organization um, over the past four years. Um, and one of our keystone events is the DC Blockchain Summit, um, which, of course, um, David um, keynoted last year. And um, this is an event that we do in partnership with Georgetown University. Um, so we bring in the academic community, we bring in the policy community, and we bring in our members. And we have a whole day to really celebrate the, the positive uh, updates within um, the blockchain community here in Washington. And so we've created a very strong partnership with Georgetown over the years. So um, last year, um, we uh, you know, kind of had this crazy idea to, to create some blockchain coursework. That's awesome. Um, because there is a huge talent shortage of um, blockchain executives and technologists that are work ready. Um, so in order to start addressing that issue, and we have a long way to go. Um, we have created some coursework for Georgetown. So I joined their faculty this year um, and I'm teaching their very first um, fintech and blockchain class. So it's it's been quite a rewarding process, but we still have you know, a lot of work to do <laughs> to bring this uh, technology to the masses. And we're certainly doing our part here. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we've briefly talked about this, but my brother goes to Georgetown and he better be in that class because <laughs> we're all talking about blockchain at all times. I hope he is learning uh, from Georgetown. That's an amazing opportunity for students. We've kind of done some work with students at R3, but um, I, I think that all these schools, I know some schools have picked up on blockchain clubs and all that, but actually having a dedicated professor in classes, um, I think will be amazing just to get students more involved. Yeah, it's a start. And, you know, this is just our first uh, semester teaching it. And the class was oversubscribed. We had a long waiting list of students mm -hmm. trying to get into it. And they gave preference to seniors. So unfortunately, um, your brother's not in the class this semester, <laughs> but hopefully he'll get in there um, eventually. And Georgetown is also working on hiring um, more faculty that can teach these topics so they can have more than just one class. And we're also building out an executive um, set of coursework too. So there'll be more to come. Um, but it's, it, we're definitely, you know, at the, the cutting edge here. And one thing that has been difficult uh, in putting together the coursework is that there, there really is no blockchain textbook out there. I didn't just have a book that I could give to the students and say, read this, and then we're going to discuss it every week in class. Um, we had to create all the coursework from scratch, knitting together talks from pioneers and YouTube videos and blog posts and Medium articles. Um, there, there are a number of white papers, but I mean, it's very different than any of the courses I ever took um, in college. So it's, um, it's been a little bit of a journey um, for all of us. Uh, but I think a lot of the students have had the opportunity to understand that they're getting in at something at the ground floor and really inspiring them and, and putting that passion um, in their bellies to see this as a really exciting industry um, to get involved with early in their careers so they can make important contributions as they enter the workforce. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I really love that. Go Georgetown. That's I can imagine that would probably be very difficult to create uh, a course around this stuff. I, I didn't even think about 
how it would be creating that class, just how cool it would be to take it. Um, but how did you first get exposed or involved in the uh, blockchain space? So I pre- previously worked on Capitol Hill for a member of the Financial Services Committee. So I was working on uh, issues involving economics and financial services. Um, my background is in economic policy. Um, so my favorite day of the year was always when the, the chair of the Federal Reserve would testify in front of our committee, and I, I would get to help write the questions that the congressman <laughs> would ask the chair of the Fed. So when the topic of of Bitcoin came across my desk, I'll bit briefly, um, just as someone working in economic policy, this concept that there was this currency out there on the web that was not created or controlled by a government or a corporation or any type of organization. To me, that was just super fascinating, this idea of a decentralized uh, monetary system. So I independently started following uh, Bitcoin and what turned into the blockchain ecosystem over time. Uh, and after falling into the rabbit hole and kind of coming out of that several years later, I just came to the conclusion that this is the most important technology I'll ever see in my entire lifetime. And so many of the things I was fighting for in my policy work from a more stable and transparent monetary system to um, really ensuring um, that we have, uh, you know, compliance, you know, can be met with greater accuracy uh, and that, uh, you know, corruption and greed can be rooted out. So many of those things I truly believe can be achieved through the implementation of blockchain. So I decided I absolutely had to work in this industry and was going to dedicate all my time and effort um, into this. Um, although I'm not a technologist, I'm not a cryptologist, <laughs> I'm not a software engineer. And in the early days of the industry, that's pretty much all there was that was out there. So I had to do a little bit of soul searching about what I had to contribute to this community. Um, And then at the time, there there was nobody in DC talking about these issues. So it it became over time as I was studying um, that it was obvious that we needed a dedicated organization to support this ecosystem and to support the innovators working in this space to ensure that they have fair representation um, in the most powerful conversations that are happening in the most powerful city in the world. Yeah, that's really interesting thinking about D.C. and how um, regulations and all that comes into play, um, because that's not something I really have to to think about much in a day. But um, talking to you about how you first got in interested in blockchain, kind of I can relate to that, especially because I... Uh, I just graduated school and I was like, I don't what what is this going to lead to for me? I'm, I don't I'm not a tech person. I'm not a developer, um, although I act like I am because I know how to use WordPress. Um, but <laughs> what is your experience been as being a woman in the blockchain space? And I say woman, but I mean being a powerful kind of voice for blockchain in D.C.? Yeah, Kathleen, it's it's a it's a great question. And uh, <laughs> There are certainly challenges that come with it. I think, you know, being a woman entering any industry as, as a founder and a CEO and entrepreneur, um, it's not an easy path to take. One thing that I certainly was not prepared um, in doing this, I really did not understand the, the gender gaps and diversity and this concept of a glass ceiling because I was brought up in a household with parents 
um, who, who treated all of the siblings equally. So I grew up with two brothers, I have an older brother and a little brother, and we all played by the same rules, the same expectations. You know, we were all rewarded the same for how we uh, performed in, in school and in our classes and in our extracurriculars and, and how we contributed to the household. So <laughs> when I entered the workforce, um, I really had, I was not prepared for, for what I was walking into. Um, and you know, I, I guess how it's affected me personally is, you know, I feel like I have to work 10 times harder to accomplish the same thing that, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a man doing the exact same thing would be doing, um, something that should be accomplished in one meeting sometimes takes four or five. Um, and, uh, and sometimes you have to prove yourself over and over again, um, just because you're breaking a culture and, and you're trying to break through a cycle that people oftentimes don't even understand, um, exist, mm-hmm. um, but I really tried, uh, you know, to, to, to not let it impact my work and to, at the end of the day, always promote and always present the best work product possible. Um, and just, you know, in hope that, 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 uh, you know, merit will win out. Um, and, and four years of starting the chamber, you know, it, it, it was a grind to get started. <laughs> You know, I went an entire year without taking um, a salary, which is no different than any other, um, you know, entrepreneur. Everyone makes sacrifices to start a new organization. Um, but uh, we, we, you know, I think we were right in what we were trying to accomplish. And that was to ensure that the blockchain ecosystem had a voice in the conversations that are happening in Washington. And we've been able to accomplish that. And we've made big changes. You know, before we launched the chamber, there was a senator who called for a ban on Bitcoin. Um, and today we have a blockchain caucus. So we went from let's ban <laughs> this to let's start a caucus. I mean, that's a complete 180. And that's um, certainly um, you know, our work and being here and advocating for this community certainly played a role in that. Um, and we also not only have a caucus, but throughout the agencies, we have champions that are um, regulators today. For example, Christopher Giancarlo, who's the chairman of the CFTC, he has publicly stated that blockchain is in the national interest of the United States of America. And it's really a profound thing to have a regulator who are making those types of, of statements to support our community. Um, so while it has been a journey and a lot of work, it's certainly been worth it. Yeah, definitely. I think also just speaking on um, kind of your journey and you being a woman in not only just the blockchain space, just generally uh, a businesswoman, I think you um, and there are so many other kind of badass uh, women in this space that are such good influences for for me and my friends and um, kind of younger women also who are trying to get into the world of business and blockchain specifically here. But um, so I think it's kind of the grind and all that hard work sometimes may not feel like it uh, it pays off, but in, in your case, it's definitely paid off. And I think you're an amazing influence. So just throwing that out there, but we can Thank move you. on. <laughs> but so can you discuss a little bit about what policy work you've been doing around tokens and ICOs? Yes, absolutely. So we have seen a significant amount of activity through this concept of an initial coin offering in the past 12 to 24 months, billions uh, of dollars of financing uh, and capital uh, coming together through this ICO process. So, of course, that's affecting our work at the chamber. Some of that activity is good. It's interesting. It's innovative. It's it's creative. 
Um, but to be honest, some of that activity is not good at all. And I'm sure uh, mm-hmm. you and, and others have seen all this in the news and are, and are well aware that there certainly are scams and um, there, there are bad actors and there are criminals who are coming in and they're looking for the latest and newest technology. Um, and they, they are, there are people that are abusing blockchain technology for nefarious purposes. So for us, it's really important as an organization that's working with the policy community that we are getting ahead of those issues and that we're addressing regulators' concerns. Although that is a major challenge because this concept of tokens is still very new. And if you ask me what a token is and you ask, you know, 25 other companies in this space, what what is their definition of a token, you're going to get 25 different answers. So it's very hard to codify that type of language into law today because the technology is still developing. So we need to ensure that the regulatory frameworks and guidelines allow for innovation. So it's hard to publish uh, and write you know, regulation into law today. So what we've done to rise to this challenge, um, we've created an initiative called the Token Alliance, and we are writing best practices um, and guidelines for tokens. And we're looking at both non-security tokens and security tokens and others. Um, we phased this out, and the first phase we're focused specifically on non-security tokens because, um, by definition, they're operating outside traditional securities laws, which does not mean it's a wild west. It just means certain types of laws don't apply. So what we are doing is we've brought over um, 350 people from around the world together to draft this document to adhere to a set of guidelines um, that we will all agree upon and voluntarily um, adhere to uh, in terms of the operations of tokens. So um, we're addressing um, token issuers. So if you're going to issue a token, you know, what do we expect to see? Um, and then we're also addressing the activity between trading platforms um, and the issuers and the platforms. So we're talking about, you know, how do you address things like insider trading? Because those are securities laws. They wouldn't apply in a non-security framework. But we should still have guidelines to ensure that we are um, addressing issues of manipulation or fraud um, through those types of activities. Um, so we believe this is uh, you know, a proactive way to address the activity around ICOs weed out bad actors, and it's also the responsible thing to do. So it's been a labor of love. Uh, the document will be coming out within the next couple of weeks, um, but it's it's um, you know our way of putting out a proposal to the community, um, the blockchain community, the token industry, and the policy community uh, about governance in this young technology ecosystem. Yeah, that's great, especially because there's so much hype around all of this technology, and with that, some of some crazy things have come out of it. But it's great that you have that. We'll definitely keep an eye out uh, in the next coming weeks. So, where do you think, uh, you, or where do you see regulators focusing their attention specifically with this ne- new technology? Well, there's been a lot of attention and resources dedicated to ICOs because that is Mm -hmm. where we're seeing a lot of nefarious activity today. So it's important that we as a community are able to come up with a system to identify the good from the bad um, without completely hindering the development and innovation of blockchain as a whole. Um, So that's where we're seeing a lot of energy today. Um, But if we're looking specifically at the United States, I would say it's a 
very fragmented regulatory environment. We have many mm-hmm. different types of regulators that have jurisdiction of, over many different types of activities. Everything from the SEC, who's applying securities laws. You have this the, the CFTC that's looking at these tokens or, or Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies um, through the, the commodity um, laws. Um, and then you also have you know the IRS, who's taxing tokens and cryptocurrencies as property. Then you have FinCEN, who's regulating different activities as currency. We also have consumer regulators like the FTC and the CFPB. And then there's you know a whole uh, variety of, of enforcement agencies um, from from My goodness. And so on. <laughs> it sounds like the most complex web. <laughs> it is. It is very complicated, which is why it's important we have people in DC that are here to help navigate that and meet with the different agencies and regulators um, and help coordinate that. Um, and really what we're seeing is, is one, a lot of confusion. Two, you're seeing regulators who are kind of fighting for jurisdiction, which makes it that much more confusing for companies to be able to navigate through. Um, but also there's really not... A strategic vision for blockchain in the United States. So when you look around the world, that's really what um, kind of uh, differentiates us from some of these other more forward jurisdictions like Singapore or the UK or Switzerland or the UAE or even um, Canada, where you have a senior member within the administration or within the government that's able to put out a vision for how we are going to treat and accept blockchain technology in our in, in this country. Um, and so really we're, we're, what we're advocating for today is to have a strategic vision um, for the United States of America. What is the direction? That way all these different agencies and departments and regulators can at least be marching in the same direction. Um, and yeah. that way we, we have a common goal that we're working towards. Um, however, that Com- you know what comes with that is is you know educating huge teams of people on what this technology is, which which is a process. You know, there's 535 members of Congress. That alone could be someone's entire career just educating the people <laughs> on the Hill, and then through the different agencies and up into the administration. Um, so again, it, it is a labor of love, but I believe um, it, it's well worth it, and and we're very thankful to our three for their support of the chamber and and for being a member of our executive committee and being a part of this important work because if the policy community does not support you or if you're not at the table during those types of discussions, that can determine your fate for your future. So I think it's it's worth it. And, and I think, uh, you know, we, we, we all have a lot to gain um, from engaging with the policy community. Yeah, definitely. I think education is so, so important with this technology. I also want to note, we are not paying her to say that we are being helpful with this. <laughs> but no, I appreciate you uh, you calling us out, but we're happy to be involved. So I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do have one more question because you kind of touched on the uh, which jurisdictions are furthest ahead uh, in terms of deploying blockchain. But I have one kind of last sillier question. Um, What keeps you up at night in regard to blockchain or if you want to talk about other things? And this is a funny question for me because I genuinely had a nightmare last night (laughs) uh, about, which it's not specifically about blockchain, but about my job, which uh, I, I don't even know if we could go into, but it's basically things like breaking and uh, nothing working properly. And so I actually had a nightmare last night. But what keeps you up at night 
with this technology or just the future of blockchain? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, the, the metronome auction launched yesterday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, at dinner last night, my brother and I were celebrating the start of the auction. I actually woke up in the middle of the night um, and I had a dream that all of the metronome token was over and I didn't get to participate. So <laughs> that was my crypto nightmare of the week. Um, but what actually keeps me up at night, uh, you know, within my work, uh, you know, tax is a big issue. Yes. Um, and we do have some conflicts between um, the SEC, FinCEN, and the IRS and the way that they're taxing these types of technologies. Um, and, and crypto assets today are being taxed as property, but um, which pr- really, I believe, prevents them from being used um, as currencies or, or for payment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it also causes... Um, very significant, challenging compliance burdens for anybody that's using a digital asset. Um, So this is something that we have raised with the IRS and that we're meeting with um, people on Capitol Hill to help bring their awareness to to this issue because everyone is impacted by tax and it's really not clear how to comply with the tax guidelines today. Um, So we're really hoping to establish better clarity in terms of compliance for tax for for digital assets, but also advocating for better tax policy, one that really supports the innovation and the growth of the blockchain ecosystem, where today, um, because it is so confusing and it's such a a burdensome process to get through, I think it's really inhibiting uh, activity um, in this space. So um, I know that's a super nerdy answer, that tax (laughs) is what keeps me up at night, but we are seeing enforcement (laughs) actions coming out. Um, on this specific issue. And, and, and I do think that it's uh, something that really can inhibit companies um, and the industry's growth. Yeah, no, definitely. And I will say that my New York City taxes, although this is not the same, they also keep me up at night. So uh, <laughs> it's a good answer <laughs> in that front. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Where should uh, everyone follow you if we want to follow you or Digital Chamber of Commerce? Yeah, you can check out all of our policy positions on our website at digitalchamber.org. We also have a number of white papers and research projects that you can um, read to see kind of more in depth the work that we're doing um, in Washington. Um, and you can follow me um, on Twitter at Perian DC. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Catherine. I hope you guys enjoy listening to the podcast as much as I enjoy recording these episodes. Until next time.